but at that point, you know, I didn't have a choice uh, to get upset. I'm like, why am I going to get upset right now when it might cost me the U.S. Open? So and we're back with another Park Train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. We got our other co-host, Matt Cermak, here. What's up, my man? Welcome aboard another train. Good to be here, Ev. Rocking and rolling as usual. Here we go. Well, in case you guys are new, our mission on the par train is to help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course. And we believe if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We interview PGA Tour pros, best-selling authors, CEOs, mental coaches, everyday golfers, and more to make the hardest game in the world feel, feel easy and help you finally get out of your own way. This week, we talked to a professional golfer, played on the PGA Tour, Corn Ferry Tour, etc., uh, just qualified for the U.S. Open at Torrey and played. That was his first major. Uh, Mike Johnson. We'll get to Mike in a second. But first, a quick word from our friends at Roback. And speaking of friends, Serm, uh, we've talked about how much we love Roback. We talked about how much Roback we have. But speaking of friends, talk about how many text messages you get per week about Roback. Yeah, it's a lot, Ev. It's a lot. I'm sending the, our code around the horn and you know what it is too and a lot of times i'm with people have and you know like robex the clothes are great but people love the logo people love the dog people love the stripe and it's always like what is that that is super cool um and obviously the clothes fit great but i i feel like every week it's picking up great friends over at roback as we continue to keep the train moving with them yeah and guys if you haven't if you're new and you haven't heard um us talk about roback before their performance apparel young founders they, they've been going up like a rocket ship. Um, they're selling out basically every product they release, they sell out immediately. And they have polos, hoodies, T-shirts. Everything's four-way stretch. Everything looks good, fits good. And it's all Matt and I wear now. And so all you guys got to do, we actually don't have a code anymore, but we have a link. And it's actually better. You just click the link in our show notes. You don't have to enter a code. It auto applies 15% off your first order. Um, and if for some reason you can't figure out where that is, some people have asked me before, like, how do I get into the show notes? Um, just hit our link in bio on Instagram at the par train or Twitter as well. And, uh, it'll always be linked in our bio. So tap that link, get yourself 15% off and hop aboard the rowback train. I mean, the, the train's leaving the station, so you might as well hop on board. Going into this episode with Mike Johnson, Mike was actually our first professional golfer we had on the podcast four plus years ago. I talk about how janky our setup was back then when we first started interviewing him. But Mike is one of my uh, favorite guys to have on the show, and we've been staying in touch ever since because Mike's story is so relatable. You know, Mike broke a lot of records at Auburn. Um, and he was in the 2011 class with Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Xander Shoffley, Patrick Rogers, like a lot of phenom golfers. He was in that class and he won five times at Auburn, second most wins ever in school history, uh, started off real hot, finished fourth in his first PGA Tour event in 2016. Golf is hard, has been kind of battling, right? He's been on the Corn Ferry lost his status. Now he's trying to get back on the corn ferry, get back to the PJ tour. Um, but I think there's a lot of relatable lessons here, sir, on how he's trying to get back to basics, remove a lot, 
Like, it's all about simplification for him, which I think every amateur can relate to. An episode like this is another look into how good Mike Johnson is, how good he's been his whole life. And most people have never heard of him. But I think they're going to hear of him pretty soon. You know, he qualified for the U.S. Open. You know, at Torrey, um, I think he played better than he scored. Um, he just shot, what did he shoot at? 69, 68, 64, 67 <laughs> in a form event. Um, and he's trying to peak for Q School coming up. Uh, it was a great look into Mike. Mike talked a lot about the mental game and what he's working on. And um, he's just a just such a cool guy to talk to and just an amazing talent. And we're just rooting for him so, so much because it takes one week, Ev. His, his life could change overnight. And he's... He's as capable as anybody to do it. So um, great to catch up on Mike. Absolutely great. He's such a cool guy. Yeah, so what you were kind of referencing there, Serm, is so Mike's been playing on the Form Tour. And to give you guys context, the Form Tour is basically the Canada Tour, um, but with COVID and everything, the Canada borders um, being tough to get in and out, the PGA Tour kind of created the Form Tour, which allows uh, pro golfers in the U.S. to play on the Canada Tour while in the U.S. to try and get back their status on the Corn Ferry and then eventually PJ Tour. So let's give people context. Mike, we recorded this uh, two days ago. Yeah, he had just finished his third round. Let me read his scores, okay? 64, 69, 67, 68, and he finished 18th. Can you imagine? So think about that mental battle as a golfer where – you, I mean, on the PGA Tour, if you do that, you got a good chance to win, right? But on these mini tours, these the winner was at 26 under, right? Right. And so think about the lessons there of trying to press, trying to force birdies, feeling behind the eight ball if you're not starting off hot. I mean, there's a lot of mental barriers in your way to playing free and playing good golf. And, uh, you know, he's been at it for a long time. And so I think those lessons are really valuable for anyone. I don't care if you shoot 110 or if you shoot 64. I think there's a lot of good lessons here. Yeah. How to stay positive, right? I mean, you shoot those kind of numbers, you can putt. <laughs> I mean, so I think it's just a matter of time for Mike. You know, we're going to be rooting for him come Q school in a month here. So, no, great episode. All we ask is one thing, guys. If we provided you any value, share with a friend. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. And um, no matter where the ball goes, no matter how you're hitting it, what do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. Mike Johnson, welcome aboard the train. It's fun to say that again. It's been four years. Welcome aboard the train. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Thank you for having me. I got the... I got the shirt on and everything, so I'm ready to, ready to go. We were just talking off air back in 2017. Uh, we had you on the show, and I listened back to that episode today, and I just couldn't help but laugh. I was, I was just saying, we recorded you on an iPad on FaceTime audio next to an iPhone recording the iPad, not even connected, just next to each other on a table to record that podcast, and you can tell by the way it sounds. <laughs> But uh, I think we've both come a long way since then. We thought this would be a great time to do a mental game roundtable with you. We've done mental game roundtables with pros. We've done mental game roundtables with 12 handicaps. And it's just an opportunity to dive into your game and hopefully pull little nuggets that people can then take into their game. And I actually think you are one of the best people for this. 
Um, and I think a lot of people can learn maybe more from guys on the Corn Ferry and other tours than maybe a Jordan Spieth. Because number one, it's easier to relate to. And number two, I think it's I think the mental game plays an even bigger role there. Because you know that sometimes it just takes one breakthrough week. And it can change the course, not of your year, but of your life. And I think the mental game of taking yourself out of what it means and focusing on what you're actually trying to do, mm-hmm. um, you guys are going to be a great you know, sounding board for that. So before yeah. we dig in on your game and the mental game, Mike, I just wanted to start with level setting and helping people understand how the hell the Corn Ferry Tour, now the Form Tour, Mackenzie Tour, yeah. Latin America Tour, how it works, how you get on the PGA Tour from the Corn Ferry. I know it's, there's a lot of confusing elements to it and point systems. Is there a way you could simply explain it to the golf fans so they kind of have context of what your trajectory is trying to become? Yeah, it's, it is confusing. To go from Corn Ferry to PGA Tour, simply finish top 25 on the money list or the points list now. And let's say you finish, you don't finish top 25, but you finish 26 through 75 on the Corn Ferry. All those 1 through 75 guys are going to go to what they call the Corn Ferry Finals, and they're going to compete against 126 to 200 on the PGA Tour. And from all those people, there will be 25 more PJ Tour cards. So that's kind of how you go from Corn Ferry to PJ Tour. A lot of numbers, but I, I follow you. Yeah, I feel like I learned something new about Q School or, you know, uh, how medicals work like every week. So it's, it's always, and I'm, I'm sure they're trying to improve and change the rules for everyone. So it's not, a, not an easy job for the commissioner, I'm sure. When I was growing up playing, we're all similar age. I mean, my brother was on a Canadian tour. He played the Gateway Tour. He played Latin America and he played Hooters. In terms of how we rank them now, PGA Tour, Corn Ferry, what would you say is three and four? Yeah, so obviously the, the tour, uh, PGA Tour, and then you would, I would probably put European Tour as second, and then, then Corn Ferry, and then uh, under Corn Ferry would be uh, McKenzie Tour and Latin America Tour, um, and this year is the Form Tour instead of McKenzie, and then you know many many tours, you know, there's certain many tour events that have bigger purses than Latin and uh mckenzie but you don't get anything out of it you obviously get a paycheck but you don't get you know hopefully status uh for the corn ferry tour or even you know on the form tour you can get top one through five get status on corn ferry top one through ten get to go to final stage of q school that you don't have to first or second and then top 25 get to go to second stage so any any time you can skip a stage of q school it's huge for sure um Mike, we we definitely want to ask you about your experience at Torrey Pines, qualifying for your first yeah. Open, um, doing it mm-hmm. the hard way, regionals and sectionals. Tell, tell us about tell us about the qualifier and, and your, your experience in a major. Yeah, so uh, we started our U.S. Open trek at um, Pine Mountain, Georgia. Uh, went to locals and played pretty good. Shot four under, and I think I finished like like fourth or fifth, they took eight spots there. It's a big, it's a big site. And it was kind of funny. They, I remember, I think it was like my 15th hole or something. I'm four under and I was looking at the leaderboard. I'm like, okay, I got this. Just need to par in. And they put the tee box up on a par five where it's like, it's like 480 
but you got to land it in this real narrow area. So I punted, hit, hit like seven iron, seven iron lob wedge, uh, two putted, got out of there and made par. But I'll never forget that um, hitting seven iron off of a par five. But <laughs> and then we went to sectionals, and this was a this was an interesting experience. So um, I got paired with Charles Shortzel, which was obviously very cool. You know, major winner and um, nice guy, great great guy to watch play golf. I mean, he swings it great, as everyone knows. And so we played. I think we played 29, 30, we had, I'm oh, sorry, we had four holes left. Uh, we had a three-hour rain delay, so we had four holes left. We had to come back out the next morning. Me and Charles were, I think we were tied, um, so we both needed to just par in, and we would make the open. And so I have to, we finish at dark, I go to the hotel, get some food and shower and get like, I don't know, six hours of sleep because we start back at like eight o'clock in the morning and not sure how well I slept, but so four holes left and I'm going through the holes in my mind. I'm like, all right, fairway green, two putt, fairway green, two putt. First hole, hit it left in the rough, hit it out somehow to 20 feet, make par. Next hole, hit it behind a tree, pitch out, get up and down from 100 yards. Next hole is a 200 yard par three, back left flag, hit it long left, hit it out to 15 feet, made the putt. Next hole, hit it right in the rough, hit it just short, two putted, made the open. Um, and that was that was probably the, the strongest I've been mentally, I would say, just because I knew what I needed to do. Obviously, I didn't have my game on those four holes, and I was still able to uh, keep my composure and, you know, make some putts come down the stretch. Um, it was it was a cool feeling. Uh, I think that's the, the best thing about golf is when you have a good week or a good tournament is how fulfilling – having a good week is like knowing you did the best you could. It, it worked out. Uh, it's cause as y'all know, I mean, how many range balls have y'all hit and putts and, um, to be able to make the open, um, was very, very cool, uh, for sure. And then, so we go to get to Tory. I get out there on Saturday, just kind of hit some balls. And then Sunday, I've never been out there. I uh, played the whole course by myself with my caddy, just kind of get used to Tory and sight lines and stuff like that. And then on Monday, I played nine holes with my buddies Rick Lamb and JT Poston. And then on Tuesday, I played nine holes with Spieth, JT, and Patrick Rogers. We had a little money game. So for the U.S. Open, when you get there, you sign up for practice round times. It's not like a typical tour event where you just go out there and play. Um, so I got there Saturday and kind of put down some times and I was like, I want to play the back nine on Wednesday at nine 30. That's ideal. And so I show up for breakfast on Wednesday and I look at the T sheet. It's me, Tommy Fleetwood, Sergio Garcia, and John Rum. So we played nine holes together. Um, so that was pretty cool. And I was telling my buddies, like, you know, I played with Justin and Jordan. I was like, you know, they're playing pretty good because they maybe were gambling, maybe not. You know, we won't get into the details of that. But and then I told him, I, I told him I played with uh, those three guys the next day, and I was like, yeah, these guys are just good. <laughs> um, but they were great. Uh, you know, John, I played some amateur golf and college golf with John, and uh, you now he was great, telling me where to hit it, where to miss. You know, he obviously loves that place and knows a lot about it, so that was cool, uh, cool to see and. Sergio is like the coolest guy in the world, has a house in Austin, has a house in Switzerland. You know, he, he's doing it right. And Tommy's uh, fun to watch too. I mean, he 
he hits it pretty good. So, you know, it was it was cool prep, and then I felt like I played okay, and I kind of messed up thirteen and seventeen. Um, but besides that, I, I was pretty happy with my play. You know, it was tough. My first major and my first tee time got pushed back to like four forty, so that was kind of hard to 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 wait. You know, that long to hit the first tee shot, and um, but you know. Great experience. Uh, can't wait to try next year to get back there. Um, it was it was awesome. Uh, no complaints at all. What a, what a week! It's pretty cool. Mike, I don't know if you believe that things happen for a reason or not, um, but because I read the you know the Golf Channel article, I thought was great on your journey and everything. And you know, one thing that was interesting about that is you is your first major, but you never really had an opportunity to try and qualify for a u.s open because you had corn fairy events so does that what does that make you feel like yeah i know you've struggled a little bit and lost your status on corn fairy and you're working your way back but does that give you a sense of like you actually are where you're supposed to be because you got to play in a u.s open but yeah like you said i the last time i think i tried the u.s open was i think i was i think i was in college um and maybe I don't know. It's it's been a, it's been a while, you know. And Corn Ferry is tough because if you make the open and you play good, all you get is a paycheck. I mean, obviously you get FedEx points, you know, but it doesn't really help you get your card. Um, so you could just kind of have to pick and choose what you want to play on the Corn Ferry. Um, like you said, I'm pretty happy to to have had the chance to qualify. Uh, I probably wouldn't have tried if I was on the Corn Ferry this year. Um, so it definitely uh, definitely worked out. Was there anything that stuck out to you when you were playing with those two groups? I mean, obviously, you know JT and Spieth a lot. You're a lot closer with them than the other three. Um, but I'm curious what stood stood out to you. I mean, you play with pros every week on other tours. I've heard before from caddies and folks that say the best players in the world, they do everything slower. They walk slower. They like. Is there anything that stood out to you about those groups? You know, uh, Jordan is great to play with because he thinks out loud. So like you, you know, what's, you know, what's going on with Jordan and he, he's impressive. You know, he knows where the wind is going to blow every day, um, which is something most golfers kind of look at before the week. They'll, they'll look at certain tee shots and be like, well, Thursday it's off the right Fridays. It's this way. Um, so he's great with that. And I think if you look how Jordan plays, when he's not playing well, he still competes, and I think that's a big part of his success. Um, like you said, they, people, certain players walk slower. Uh, Justin was pretty pretty calm and collected, uh, just kind of doing his own thing, and you know, none of them really ever got frustrated in their practice round. They're just trying to see the golf course, and a lot of it was, you know, they all know where the pins are going to be. Um, it's just a lot of like information and knowledge that those six guys had that I played with. Um, nothing like crazy. It's just a little, a little extra work. We talk about Jordan on vocalization, right? And like that really helps him. You think I have, it's always helped me, you know, on a tee actually saying to myself what I'm going to do. So it's pretty powerful. And he's just kind of the poster child of it. It's even, you know, some people get annoyed with it. I think it's so fascinating to watch. Yeah, I mean, better out than in, probably. Uh, you don't want to hold all that anger than just have a 
have a big explosion. Um, not that Jordan ever really gets that angry, but uh, Mike, when you were on the tee with, you know, Rom and Sergio and, and those guys, guys that everyone knows that you haven't played a lot with that you don't know as well. Did anything come up for you mentally? I remember Keith Mitchell telling us on the show years ago, he walked down the PJ tour range for the first time. Didn't know if he was gonna be able to hit a ball because he was standing next to Phil. Right. Like what was that mental process like in that practice round? I wasn't really nervous uh, to play with those guys. The, you know, that Wednesday, I mean, it, it's kind of more of like awkward, like, you know, these three guys and excluding John, they never met me. They're playing with some scrub from local qualifier. Like I felt more uncomfortable than nervous. Like, are they, are they going to be nice to me? Or are they just going to do their own thing? But, um, that's kind of those were my feelings on the our first tee, uh, but they are great. I mean, they're just good guys, you know. And I was I was I was pleased with that. Um, but I wasn't really nervous. Is more you just kind of get lost in what you're doing. Um, yeah, I, I would say I kept going back to that. Just like let's have a productive day. You know, it's cool you're playing with these guys for sure. But you know, let's let's figure out where you want to hit this tee shot. Let's figure out where the pins are going to be and stuff like that. When you have that kind of distraction that isn't an everyday distraction for you, right? How do you honing in on a mental cue for the first tee shot, right? It can be difficult because you're just, your mind's been kind of taken over in a different way. So I'm sure that was, maybe you had a thought for the week. I don't know if you had a thought for the moment. Yeah, I just, I mean, probably that week I just wanted to hit one shot at a time and, you know, bogeys were okay. Um so I really never got too frustrated out there. I just hit a bad shot on 13 and 17. Besides that, I think I would have made the cut if I played those two holes better. But, um, yeah, I was just trying to do one shot at a time. And I think the beauty of the U.S. Open is uh, most guys who win it, they're not really thinking about their swing. They're just they're like, all right, how can I put this ball in play? How can I put this ball in the green? Let's try and make a birdie putt. If not, we'll make par, go to the next hole. And I think that's what's the beauty of the U.S. Open. Yeah, we've talked to many different PGA Tour sports psychologists. And I think it was Brett McCabe, um, coaches Brian Harmon, and a lot of different guys on tour. Yeah. Um, and he talked a lot about how a lot of pros can sometimes reverse the hard. So playing in Palm Springs when the winner is 22 under, they make that hard. Whereas they almost feel relief and comfort and amp themselves up mentally on a course like U.S. Open because bogeys are okay. And I would think that for you, that's probably a good first major to play because you put so much less pressure on yourself and it's easier to kind of grind it out and know that a bogey is okay. Tory was a great venue. The USGA didn't have to do anything besides let the course get firm, which was which was great. Um but yeah, I mean, I I think guys do like to play hard golf courses. I think they'd rather play a hard course and the the winner that way. You know, the winner was the best player that week um, instead of having like a putting contest. Um, so yeah, you're spot on with that. Break it down for us, Mike. Let's dig in. Let's. I mean, you've had it, it's got to be an interesting year for you with all the stuff post COVID, a new tour. Um, planning your first major while also trying to get back to yeah. Corn Ferry and PGA Tour. Uh, break down your game for us. 
tell us about what's working, what isn't, what's your work, what you're working on, what your mindset is. Okay. Um, so basically right after COVID hit the month before I got through Canada key school by, I was playing terrible, just sheer, you can call it luck, athleticism, kind of like how I talked about us open golf. How do I put it in play? Let's try and make birdie. Um, which was cool to get through and know like, Hey, you did not have your stuff this week, but you got through. So a month later, um, I got a new swing coach. Uh, his name's Scott Hamilton. He teaches a bunch of guys, uh, Chris Kirk, Sneds, um, bunch of guys. But anyways, so I started taking from him and he's kind of helped me get back to how I was playing in 2016. You know, we, he, he's not going to, he's not really going to mess you up. He, he, he kind of reads how your body works and uh, simply put, he just, he'll find, find how you play golf and help you do it better. So he's really helped me. Um, and then, you know, I would say in the past probably two, three months, uh, I've been reading my book um, a lot more. Um, I kind of neglected the mental game for a little bit. And, you know, I was so worried about, you know, where my club was, am I on plane, stuff like that. And now that I'm in a place where I'm hitting the ball better, uh, I've been able to really focus on the mental game. And I got a short game coach now. I've never had a short game coach in my life. One of my buddies is on tour, and uh, Tim Yelverton is in Mississippi, and he was going down to see him. He's like, hey, you should come. I was like, yeah, I, I probably should. <laughs> so we went down there and, uh, Tim's helped me a lot. He's really helped my putting. He teaches Sepp Straka, uh, Kisner and a couple other guys out there, uh, Scott Brown. Um, so that's really helped me, you know, he's real simple. My swing coach is simple and I, I like simple, you know, I don't, I don't have to know all the trackman numbers. They're great. They're great to look at and it can help people who can understand it, but uh, at this moment in my life, I'm just trying to hit it straight and I'm trying to carry it the proper weight. So, um, yeah, so new swing coach, new short game coach. And then I did some mini tour stuff, uh, in this February. Um, I played, I've been playing pretty good this year and then uh form tour started uh, right after the U S open. And I think I'm 15th on the money list right now. Uh, we'll finish tomorrow. Hopefully I can, I can move up a little bit and then we'll have three more events, um, before Q school. Mike, I'm curious, maybe you can dive in a little bit on that, on some of the short game, because you know, you, you, you grow up your whole life. You've got a really good short game. You like to think that obviously you can always improve it, but when you go to a new short game coach to get a fresh perspective, what was one or two things that really opened your eyes, uh, that, that you, you know, you're really going to lean on now as you're moving forward. Yeah. So a lot of it for me, I've been a pretty good pitcher of the ball since college. I wasn't very good going into school and, uh, my college coach helped me a lot with that. Um, so I'm not too worried about pitching. Uh, Tim's helped me with bunker game, uh, real simple stuff set up and, you know, and keeping the club fate, the club on plane, but keeping the face open, stuff like that. But, Putting has been the biggest help from Tim. And I think it's just like knowing that I'm working on stuff that will help me. And for the longest time, I could putt cross-handed, conventional. I could putt with a blade putter, a mallet, and it felt I felt like I was putting the same. So I, w I went down with, to see Tim one day, 
I think I had 20 putters in my bag. I mean, it, it looks like a LPGA bag with all the head covers. And, uh, and I was like, Tim, pick a putter, tell me how to putt. And that's what I'm going to do. Cause at, the, at this point, and it's kind of what I did with my swing coach is like, you tell me what to do and I'm going to do it. I want to get better. I'm not going to ask questions. I'm going to put my faith in you. If it works out great, if not, I'll, you know, probably find a new swing coach, whatever, but it's worked out. And so I told Tim, pick a putter, tell me how to putt. So we got on Sam lab, which if you're not familiar with Sam lab, it basically reads your putter head and everything you want to know. And ironically, I have all these tightless putters, Scotty Cameron putters, and he picks the one that's my buddies and it's not even my putter. So I've been using that putter since last November, but Tim likes to teach, um, just kind of being stable. You know, my, my mistake is I, in my stroke, I kind of lift my head up a little bit. So we're just trying to, trying to keep my head still. I mean, it's real simple stuff. Um, but it's, it's helped me. I mean, it's a lot like the mental game. I mean, mental game is stuff you just need to hear over and over. It's not, it's not uh, groundbreaking stuff, but, um, it, it is effective. What's interesting, Mike, is you said a couple of things that I think a lot of amateurs can relate to. People that are 12, 13s, even 15 handicaps have assumed that they don't need our podcast because they're not good enough yet. So let's get their game into a good place and then they can start thinking about it. And what I've learned over the last year with all the incredible guests we've had on the show is playing golf swing on the golf course is mental. That's a choice you make of what you place your focus on. And it sounds like for you, Mike, you're getting back to simplicity and removing things. You're not adding a lot. You're trying to remove things. I probably have one swing thought right now. Uh, and if I, if I play back, I, I probably have three ways I can, I can think about my swing. Um, and I'll kind of roll around those and so we'll call it swing thought one this week. I'll stick with swing thought one. And, you know, if, if something's not going the right way, uh, I'll kind of wait. I'll just kind of wait till after the round. And then I'll call my swing coach and be like, hey, I'm hitting shots like this. You think you think because of this thought? And he's like, yeah. And so it's simple is probably the best way to put it. You know, I'm not I'm not going around a bunch of different swing thoughts. And um, so, yeah, I'm just. I'm sticking with one swing thought and really I'm trying not to hit too many shots. Um, trying to stick with one ball flight. Uh, you know, if there is a shot where I, you kind of have to do something, I will, but I'm trying not to change up a lot. And that's it. That has really helped me with my carry numbers, um, to hit the same, same ball flight, same shot shape. Um, that's helped me a lot. All right. We're going to take a quick one minute break and then we'll get you right back to the show. People ask Serm and I all the time, like, what's a good starter set? There's no better starter set, a great set of clubs, than Sticks Golf. You get a whole set of clubs and a brand new bag for less than a Sim 2 driver and a Scotty Cameron putter, less than a thousand bucks. So, Sticks Golf is a brand new direct to consumer golf brand that gives you premium performance at a fair price, all the performance you need, and none of what you don't. They're on par with all the big brands without the massive markup, and they make modern clubs for the modern golfer. It's a minimalist, all-black design. I've hit them before. I've held them. I hit them great, and they look awesome. Genuinely, they look great. Um, and so Sticks Golf has every skill level covered um, and everything you need with the latest tech. So whether you're a brand-new golfer looking for your new clubs uh, or for your first good set of clubs or you're looking for 
an upgrade and you don't feel like spending two grand on a new set of clubs, I think Sticks Golf is a great option for you guys. So go to the link in our show notes. It's also linked in our bio at the Par Train on Instagram and Twitter. Um, click that link and you can get a 9, 11, or 14 piece set and a bag. And if you guys enter the code Par Train Sent Me, that's Par Train Sent Me for 10% off, they don't usually give out codes. So specifically for the Par Train listener, get yourself 10% off for a limited time and get yourself a set that doesn't break the bank. All right, now let's get back to the show. Yeah, that's probably the biggest jump from college golf to pro golf. You know, if you don't go straight to the PJ Tour, college golf, typically your golf courses are much harder than pro golf. Uh, so like Corn Ferry and Form Tour, it's a lot of, you, you just got to make a bunch of birdies. And granted, most of these courses are in the Midwest, so it's hot. Can't get the greens too firm. Um, it's bent grass rough. It's usually a little easier to chip out of. So you kind of have to be aggressive um, and trust your ability if you miss the green uh, to get up and down. So that was probably a little bit of a learning curve to be a little more aggressive. But um, I kind of asked some other players how they dealt with it and kind of formulated my own system. And I asked Pat and Kazire, like, hey, I know you had a great year on the web when it was the web. And I was like, what, like, what were your thoughts like every day? Like, it's hard to go out there and just just show up on the first tee and shoot six under every day. But he said, he told me he always wanted to start the round six over and trying to get back to under par. Um, so yeah. So what I do, um, I'll get, when I get my scorecard before the first tee, I'll mark up, um, every, every third hole, like it has little, I'll make three boxes and it's, and I'll be like, all right, I want to be one under, through all these holes. So one under first three, one under the next three and so on and so forth. And it just keeps me being aggressive. So like, and if I can get two under on one of those, it makes the next one, uh, even easier. Like I don't even have to birdie. Um, and that kind of helps me mentally. If like, if I can get off to a good start, I, I don't have to put as much pressure um, to get to six under, or if I do get off to not as good start, let's say I'm even through six, um, and I make two birdies on eight and nine, I'm like, all right, I'm really only one stroke off what I wanted. So it's, it's not, not too big a deal. Um, so that's how I look at it, um, to stay, I guess, aggressive and try and make some birdies. When you're in the first, let's say the first five holes of a form event or a mini tour event, and you're not making birdies, how do you how do you stay calm? How do you ride that little mental storm out knowing that maybe your playing competitors have made four birdies already because you know, you got to go low. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some days you're just not going to shoot six under. I mean, if, if everyone shot six under every day, they, they wouldn't be on the form tour. They'd be, a, they'd be playing every WGC major. So at that point, I'm just trying to make, I'm trying to shoot as low as I can. Like, I've had many rounds, even on Corn Ferry, um, a couple. I remember, I think this was the the third form event. I shot uh, two over on my first round, but I think I birdied my last hole to get to two over. Uh, and I was like, hey, that, that could be huge. Just any one shot, because tomorrow, instead of having to shoot six under, I can shoot five under. Um and then I actually shot 500 next day, made the cut on a number, and ended up finishing 25th, which is not great, but I still got some points for the week. Uh, so I'm just trying to, 
I'm trying to just shoot as low as possible when you're not playing as good. And sometimes that means, you know, just making pars and not multiplying your mistakes. In the book I've been reading, uh, it's called Inner Excellence. Um, I, it it kind of goes into goals. Uh, so obviously my little scorecard deal, I have that's short term goals, and that and that kind of helps me with. I feel like a lot of guys, you know, they have a bad front nine, and they're like, hey, this is a new game. I got a whole back nine. So I kind of I can multiply that. I like I can be like, oh, I had a bad first three holes. Hey, next three holes, let's do this. Um, so that helps me with that. But in the book, you know, it talks about short-term goals and long-term goals. If you get caught up in short-term goals, you know, Hey, let's hit this one shot really good, or I have to play good today or whatever, you know, you kind of, you kind of, you don't get lost in the process of getting better. Um, so I've been really trying hard to focus on long-term goals and it's not easy. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm the best mental player out there um it by any means but i i've been trying really hard uh my wife can attest to this but um long term trying to get lost in long term goals for me has helped me recently so long long term goal instead of saying hey i have to hit this shot good or you know if this swing thought doesn't work i'm throwing it out get a new swing thought long term goal for me is like one you know let's just try and get better this week so if you're not playing that great you know listen to your coach and work on your fundamentals. Um, but long-term goal for me right now is just to be ready for Q school, uh, in a month. So I feel like I'm trending that way. Yeah, absolutely. That's the best way to put it. It's freeing up my mind. Um, and the book will tell you success is a byproduct of performing with freedom and passion. So, uh, Obviously, when you play your best rounds, you're not thinking about much. You're thinking, hey, I got 170 yards. I'm going to hit it 170 yards. Um, so it's kind of like uh, you said, Evan, it's, it's, um, you're not worried about how, how is it going to get there. You're just going to do it. <laughs> so it, it's, hel it's helped me a little bit. Yeah, it seems like it's really freed up, freed up your mind. Well, it's interesting, Mike, because you actually said on our 2017 pod, that it's really hard to hit fairways when you're trying really hard to hit fairways, right? And I think that is honestly the that's it. And, and it's not just fairways, right? And this is the hardest thing for every golfer, and not just golf, this is life too, where obviously you have something that you want. You want to shoot a low number, you want to make birdie, you want to get status, you want to win a make a lot of money, right? But I think it's when you start to take a step back and realize that the one shot at a time, the why of that is, is the fact that thinking about the meaning of that stuff, what it will mean and what you want doesn't actually help you. It's like the trying to hit fairways when you were trying really hard to hit fairways. You have to try and achieve results without trying to achieve the results, which is easier said than done. It's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, and less tension to try and hit the fairway. Um, yeah, I mean, it. it's obviously you want to hit every fairway and every green, but that's just not a reality. I don't know if anyone's ever done that on tour. I'm no, I know guys have hit all fairways and all greens. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely frees you up knowing you don't have to hit every fairway. Uh, I mean, to make birdies, it certainly helps. Um, but, yeah, it, it was definitely a cool feeling knowing I, I kept my cool and um, – 
it was, I mean, the last four holes were, I'm glad it wasn't uh, on TV. I think my family would have had a heart attack, but, but at that point, you know, I didn't have a choice uh, to get upset. I'm like, why am I going to get upset right now when it might cost me the U S open? So I was so focused on this goal of making four pars or if I could throw in a birdie, that'd be great. But um, I really didn't have time to get upset. And that's, those are my favorite moments when, when you're playing good and you don't, you don't have time. You don't have the energy to waste. This uh, sports psychologist, she said, I forget her name, but she said, think of it as you have chips, like in a poker game. And what you just said is very similar to what she said, which is a lot of people don't finish strong because they've spent all of their mental chips. And so for you, it sounds like it's an important key to remember that. Are Do you want to spend a chip right now? mentally and get frustrated and down because you need some coming in. Right. And I think that's a great reset tool for you of like, how can I, yeah, it happened. It's a reality, but guess what? Everyone I'm playing with is getting frustrated when they don't play well. Everyone else is nervous. How can I focus on what I'm doing and versus what it means and just keep going and take it as it comes, you know? Yeah. And it, you know, you only have so much energy in the day and it, it may not even cause, another physical mistake it may cause a mental mistake as in like you know you just shoot the number with your bush nail and you don't even look where the pin is and next thing you know you hit it in a spot you're like why did i hit it here i could have hit it 20 feet right of this and had a two-putt birdie or whatever and so it's it's um that that's the biggest thing for me is just being fresh and i mean this week we're playing in louisville and it's the heat index is like 105 so we've been carrying our bag and I mean, you can't, <laughs> I, I, I myself can't waste any energy this week. Um, and I, I didn't play great yesterday, uh, but managed to shoot on par and, um, and I've, I'm not saying I have figured out the mental game. I have figured out stuff that helps me now, if I can stick to that stuff, um, that's another story. So I'm trying my hardest, uh, to do that. Uh, and fortunately my wife is always, always on top of me, uh, asking about, uh, the mental game and cause she knows, uh, for the most part, I'm swinging it well. And, um, you know, she'll, she'll ask me, how are you today mentally? And which is like the worst question a golfer can receive, you know, they, they you don't want to be asked that, you know, like, hey, how were you good mentally or did you just swing poorly? Because when you're just looking at a scorecard online, you're like, oh, he had two bogeys in a row. He's probably pissed. Um, but it's like, no, I just hit a bad shot. But, yeah, she stays on top of me just because she knows – she's not a golfer herself, but she knows um, you just can't – you just can't get too upset where it affects your game. It's too important, uh, especially on the form tour. It's a stacked – it's very stacked leaderboard. I think I'm in 13th right now, but – I'm like two shots out of like fourth. So it's a lot of uh, jam-packed leaderboards. So um, so she's probably my men- my mental coach right now. <laughs> well, well, Mike, with Q School coming up, what will you work on mentally? Like, is it more your attitude? Is it you know, what what tweaks do you need to make, if any? Because that's the biggest stage, you know, of golf, you know, many people get on. I would say Q school mentally is easier uh, in some ways. Obviously it's hard knowing if you miss, you got to play mini tours and Mondays and all this stuff, but it kind of goes back to what I just said about, I really love the moments of, 
you know, you don't have time to waste energy to waste, uh, getting down on yourselves And Q school is the epitome of that. I mean, no one cares if you're not swinging it good, you know, Q school is this date, you have to play good. No one's going to feel sorry for you. Um, so it's, I think Q school is easier in that sense. Obviously it's harder with all the pressure, but I'm just going to focus on getting my game ready and, uh, just being a good mental state, um, trying to swing free, uh, is probably the biggest thing for me. Um, swinging free and you know, that that's huge for me. Uh, just for me, it's just getting through the ball and not, not being afraid of where it's going. So Justin JT told you about the book inner excellence. Was there anything he mentioned specifically that helped him, um, or why he suggested that book to you? No, not really. Like I said, I think I read an article and I'm friends with JT and I was like, Hey, because I was struggling mentally. I've always struggled mentally. I was a hothead. Um, at times I can still be pretty hot. Uh, and I texted him about the book and he's like, yeah, this book's been great for me. Uh, see if you like it. And it's something I kind of go back to. I can just, this book's great. You can open up to any page and find something that will help you thinking about what I want to do instead of what I don't want to do, which is easier said than done. But that's probably what I will try and focus on. Mike, another thing about swing keys, you've got a couple that you lean on clearly and you having the right, having the right or the wrong swing key is very mental because like I've been trying to stay in my posture more, but I've found that that thought actually creates tension and tightness. So for me, just make a, big turn got me looser. How do you deal with that? What do you lean on? Um, so throughout the course of me getting lessons with Scott, my swing coach, uh, the first thing we had to do is kind of fix the way my body was moving. So we have, we have some drills with that and I'll kind of, I'll focus on that. It's kind of hard to explain on the phone, but it's, uh, basically I needed to get my right hip higher uh, that way I could get through the ball up and left. Um, and then it impacts my swing thought. Number two would be, uh, my, my, all my weighted impact was kind of jumping to my right big toe. So, and that, if you do that, the club gets behind you and you get a little steep, um, coming in the ball. So we basically he'll put like a disc under my right foot and on the downswing, I'll feel like I'm trying to kick it out from under me going this way. And that really gets gets the club on top of the plane, and that's another one. And the third one for me is just tempo. Uh, I feel like tempo is often overlooked. Um, uh, I've talked to uh, a couple swing coaches before about tempo, and I've talked to the one who teaches Louie. His name's Justin Parsons, and he said Louie, his whole life is about tempo. Uh, Justin told me, when Louis at a tournament, he he'll tell his wife, "Hey, I'm leaving at ten o'clock. If it's ten o one, I'm I'm leaving you." Now I don't know if that's happened, but uh, he wants to get there on time so he can walk slow, he can eat slow, and his, so his tempo can be slow. And uh, I think I think tempo is often overlooked, and that's uh, it's it's easy to control tempo. Now it's hard to control where your club is and stuff, but you can. I feel like you can control your tempo better than others. And when you think about Auburn, we haven't talked a lot about your college career. We did a little bit more in the 
episode 17. I don't recommend going back and listen to that based on the quality, but <laughs> there were still some good nuggets. Um, the uh, When you think back to that, I mean, you won, I think, five times um, and second most wins in Auburn golf history. Uh, do you remember your mental game and what you focused on tournament to tournament then? The biggest thing that I noticed was, so we played a tournament in Mobile and it was like, I think Vandy played in Wake Forest. And besides that, it wasn't a great field. And the, I think this was my junior, my red shirt junior year. I wasn't excited to be there. It was cold. The golf course was okay. And I think I, I played okay and finished a top 20, whatever, um, which wasn't great for the field. And the next year, I get there and it's kind of the same field, same weather conditions. I was like, you know what? This is a really good opportunity for me to win a college tournament because uh, they're not easy to win. There's a bunch of good players. And I, I ended up winning that tournament, but I kind of on the ride home, I was like, man, that was so different from last year. You know, last year I showed up and I was like, I only want to be here. I'd rather be whatever. And then I showed up there and I was like, this is a great opportunity for me to win. Um, but so that's probably the biggest thing for me. And, uh, my senior year, I just swung free. Um, I had a couple swing thoughts and stuck to really for a whole year, the same two swing thoughts. Um, so that seems to be like a common thing for me. If I can keep it simple, uh, I usually play, play pretty well, but yeah, that was the biggest difference for me. Uh, I kind of, I guess not that I tried to win, but, um, I don't know. I just, I was more, it was a good opportunity to win. And uh, I don't know. That's, that was the biggest difference. Well, you had a simple perspective shift that instead of feeling like, I don't want to be here, um, which pretty impossible to play good golf when you don't want to play golf. I don't think I've ever played a good round of golf if I didn't feel like playing. Um, But you just simply, I mean, Ricky Fowler's talked a lot about this. A lot of guys get down when it's super windy and Ricky says, I played in Oklahoma and Marietta, California. I could play in the wind. And so I'm going to, I'm going to own this, uh, these conditions. We actually just did a video the other day about this idea of like tentative golf is like being a boxer, being afraid to get punched. And if you think about a winning boxer, think about their ability to win. If they're afraid to get punched, you know, you're going to get punched. Right. So you might as well own it and punch back instead of sitting in your corner, spitting blood into a bucket. Yeah. You're not going to, you're not going to win. That's for sure. Um, yeah, we had a, we had a weight trainer in college and he was always telling us to embrace the suck. <laughs> so he'd be making us run or do whatever. And he'd say, embrace the suck. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you just, you just have to embrace the conditions you're in. Um, obviously, I'd love to be on the PGA Tour right now, but at the end of the day, I'm happy to be playing uh, on the form tour to have a chance to skip some Q school or maybe get some status. But uh, like you said, it, <laughs> you're never going to play good if you're not uh, happy to be there. Mike, what you, what you said about tempo, I think is a great learning for this episode and our listeners because – Tempo isn't just your physical golf swing. It is your whole routine. It is your whole mindset. And in college golf, I played college golf, and it's so hard to to stay focused on just golf when you got class and 
you know, you got bad weather and you got girls and you got long trips, but like tempo ingraining that into your whole, well, your lifestyle too. Right. So I think it's just great that you summed it up that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at Harris English, uh, I guess, was it last week in Memphis was playing great, got put on the clock and Harris is not a slow player, but you know, he's a nice guy. So he, the rules official tells him to hurry up. So he's going to hurry up. Uh, and it, it kind of got him off his tempo. He he takes from Justin as well, and um, you can tell Harris. I mean, swings it smooth. I mean, he's got a beautiful golf swing, uh, and he got got out of his tempo maybe, and just hit. I mean, he only hit one or two bad shots, but uh, kind of cost him a tournament, which was tough to see. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, tempo is huge. Uh, like you said, it's not just your golf swing. I mean, if you if you show up late and you're driving hundred to get there. Uh, your first, your first tee shot probably won't be very smooth. <laughs> well, right. Or, or even if you just tweak something, right. That's just a little different. That's, you know, you're, you're putting your, you know, getting behind the eight ball. So it's that, just that obsession with tempo <laughs> All, more ways than one. So Mike, I know we're, we're basically at time here. I, I just wanted to read one quote you said before we go, cause I think it can help a lot of people. And, made me think of something that I've experienced um, having my own business that I think is actually quite similar. Um, in your Golf Channel interview, uh, they asked why you're still going since 2016, and I love your quote. It says, I don't know how many jobs uh, can still make $2 million while not being the best at it. I remind myself a lot having my own business um, where it's really easy. I, I think it's actually quite similar to being uh, a tour pro. Um, because every day you could be getting 29 out of 30 no's. And, you know, the pessimist says, I got 29 out of 30 no's. The optimist says, this next one could be the best one. This could be the one. What I remind myself of, though, that's really helped me, Mike, is I'm one action away from a life-changing moment. And what that does is it breaks me out of the like, I need to play, I need to do this many things every day. I need to do this many emails. I got to make this many birdies. I got to make this many cuts. And it just helps me stay present and hopeful in a way that's a little bit more free of like, I'm playing the long game here. I don't need to get down on myself. I'm one call away from my life changing forever. And I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. A lot like golf. Um, yeah, I think also in that uh, that article, I said I was a psychopath. But uh, um, just, I mean, golfers, they're all psychos. I mean, this game, it'll turn the, the coolest guys in the world just crazy. Uh, it's a tough game. Um, unfortunately, golf is it's immediate feedback all the time. Uh, but it's also a good thing. Um, you know, you know, you find out quickly what works and what doesn't. So... Yeah. Well, um, we would love to have you back. I love these having some check-ins and we're going to be rooting for you. If you guys aren't following Mike, Mike Johnson, AU on Instagram and Twitter, uh, I want you to tell your wife, Rachel, hi. Uh, and, um, yeah, we're going to have to send you guys some part train hats once we, uh, get the hats back in, back in play. But I think, you know what, Mike, I think this conversation could be a cathartic, uh, thing for you maybe listen back to and i i think you're gonna i think you're gonna do well i uh i love talking 
mental game, even if it's the same stuff and you're, it, it just, it's good to hear. Uh, it's good to get in your brain. Um, I think in this book as well, you know, your mind is absolutely connected to your body. Uh, so, you know, if you're walking out there saying I suck this, that you're probably not gonna hit a good golf shot. So I love talking this stuff. It's, it's great to go back, you know, um, mental game to me is a lot like golf, you know, it's, it's, it can be very simple. Uh, so yeah, I love, love talking mental game. Would love to do it again. Awesome. Well, we're going to be rooting for you. Um, and yeah, keep us posted. Good luck. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Thank you. <laughs>